I was born one mile north of the Tennessee state line in the state of Kentucky. And that one mile allowed me to change my birth certificate to match my gender identity. Wow. And that thought always stuck in my head, Kit, that that one mile made that much of a difference and an impact in my life. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at WEMCouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at WEMCouncil. Hello, everybody. Um, and after the GA conference, I am continuing to travel around the world. Uh, I'm not coming back to the UK yet. So I've been to Qatar last week and this week going to, of course, one of my favorite countries since I've got strong connections there, back over to the United States of America and the East Coast. And uh, well, good evening from me, but good afternoon to Adina and Kelly. How are you folks doing? I'm doing fantastic, Kit. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, it's great. Great to finally see you in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that was definitely the theme a couple of weeks ago when this conference, it was some of the first time in three years that some of us have even seen each other. And it's been the first time since some of us have seen each other at all because we've mostly been conversing online. It's the thing nowadays, isn't it? It's just... For me, um, the remote part of it is the hardest part because being an educator and a teacher that works with children ages 10 to 14, that in-person connection was what I craved. And for close to two years, I had to do what we're doing right now, Kit, and talk through social media, through other formats. And we managed to pull it off. Mm. But I'm glad that you got to go see people in person because it is totally different for certain. 100%. And um, I still have very, very good friends in the teaching community. And I, I, I'm, it's nice of them to still for them to still welcome me in the teaching community, even though I'm not a chalk face teacher anymore. And they say exactly the same thing. Nothing can replace that in person uh, interaction. And, and now that I'm back in schools and working again in, with, with my project work and stuff, it's just there's nothing quite like it the interacting and that, that kind of energy and engagement you can have and the banter and everything. So yeah. Right, I'm going to introduce you both. Dina Schutzberg has been a GIS user, marketer, and industry analyst who currently works in geography and GIS education as part of Esri's Learn Arc GIS team. Again, lots of connections to Esri's on this podcast. Um, she has too much fun playing the clarinet in community bands and has toned her running habit down from long, long runs of 100 miles to saner distances of a few miles. Okay, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Kelly Jenkins is a public speaker, middle school educator, and a niece advocate for transgender youth. She is host producer of her, her own award-winning TV program, Kelly's Quest, The Transnational Journey. And Kelly is the first openly transgender professional disc golfer. Hold your thought about what that may be, everybody. 
but yeah, I had to look it up. I promise. So yeah, amazing. Uh, Adina, a hundred weight going for long, long runs of a hundred miles. God, you're gonna have to fill us in on that one. <laughs> Okay, but it, it, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, so if you start out as a runner, you want to see how far you can go, and everybody sort of finds a distance that that feels kind of good. I moved up from five k's to ten k's to the half marathons to marathons, and what I found was, as the races got longer, I did better. Oh, and I was like, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good at this marathon thing. Let, let's let's go further, and so you go up to fifty k, which is 30, thirty-one miles, and mm. you go up to. 100k 50 miles and then you go to 100k which is 62 miles and then and then there's the big kahuna there can <sighs> you run 100 miles in one go and uh it took me a couple tries to Goodness. successfully do it um and people say well, how do you do that how do you do that and the answer <laughs> is there's no secret um you run really slowly <laughs> you can do it for a really long time how long how long did it does it take you then to do that long really slowly uh, well, it varies based on the course, of course. If it's if it's flat and the weather's pretty decent, you can go pretty fast. If it's really hilly, like we've got in the, here in New England, I've run up in Vermont, uh, it's a pretty lot hilly. slower. So my yeah. my personal best, I'm very proud of this. So the big thing is, can you run 100 miles in less than 24 hours? That's like this Ke- magic Ke- Everybody, thing. Kelly's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and I was able to, to, to do that once. I, it took me 23 hours and one minute wow. uh, to run 100 miles in Kansas, right? Which is okay. Flat, yeah. flat, 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 flat. So that did help, but that was okay. still pretty amazing. I'm, yeah, but I'm retired from that. That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's one up. So I once did 100 miles in one day on my bike. Um, it was to raise money for a school trip to the United States, um, actually, uh, which is a previous podcast episode, everybody, because I interviewed four of the students I took, which was nuts. They all ganged up on me. Kelly, you know what this is like. They all ganged up on me. Of course they would, my ex-students. Yeah, uh, it was lovely. But I I did a a sponsored bike ride from my hometown of Harlow in Essex, which is just outside of London, all the way up to Norwich here in East, East Anglia. So it was just over 100 miles. I had a steel framed bike. I didn't have a road bike. That was a, that was a, bad choice um I, I think i did it in like 12 hours or something because i did lots of stops on the way and i was just but yeah i was um pretty wrecked at the end of that so that's so cool to have that challenge out in front of you to see if you can do it i mean that's yeah. that's just so fun I, I didn't go into it cold either honestly i i did i built i built up to it so i did there's something here in the, where we've got something called the norwich 50 which is a loop out of Norwich, back into Norwich, kind of into the North Norfolk countryside and back again. And then there's the Norwich 100, where you can divert from the Norwich 50 path, go a bit further, and it goes up to the North Norfolk coast, along the North Norfolk coast, and the beautiful scenery, and then back down into Norwich. So I did the Norwich 50 as a preparation for this, and then I did a 75-mile bike ride down in in Essex. I I, I didn't just go into it cold, honestly, (laughs) but I was still completely wrecked. Um. But yeah, running it, uh, kudos to you, Adina. That's just. I think the thing that impresses me is that you all did this distance of 50 miles or 26 miles, and that wasn't the ending point. <laughs> I mean, I think most people would be like, okay, yeah, that's I've, I've um, done something that I'm impressed with. But instead, you all did it as a testing type thing to get better to go for this bigger obstacle. Now that you put it that way, actually, <laughs> yes. 
quite masochistic in that kind of sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, that was when I was at my absolute peak fitness. So that was 2011, and I was like cycling to and from work every day. Um, even in even when the other school would close for a snow day, while I was making it to school. I'd get to the school and they'd be like, sorry, Kit, we've just decided to close the school because of a snow day. That's okay. I'll just slide my way back into Norwich. Thanks, everybody. Um, okay. Well, now after talking about snow days, let's you see my, I'm practicing my segues here uh, as an amateur podcast. Let's now warm up about talk with our brews. Yes. <laughs> um, so I've got it late night here. I've got my decaf coffee here. So who'd like to go first? So, Adina, you've actually got your little kind of tub I, I, of stuff there. I do. So it's it's uh, afternoon here, and probably best for me not to drink caffeine if I want to <laughs> later. Um, so, and I I do actually regularly drink a a coffee replacement beverage called Postum. Postum. And it was actually invented by C W Post, like Post cereals in the United States. Okay. They make breakfast cereal. Um, yep. And it was, they basically invented it to be a healthier alternative to coffee in, in, the, huh. in 1895. It's really old. Oh. And it got really popular during World War II when they were rationing coffee. So you could have this and it was supposed to sort of take, does it taste like coffee? It's in the same, it's in the same family. Mm. Of, of coffee it's kind of rich um but it doesn't have any caffeine in it and you put a little milk in it it's, it's very nice so that's what i'm drinking because i've yeah i've seen it on the i've seen it on the shelves and i've been sh- shopping in the supermarkets in america but never really thought i, I thought i don't want to touch that stuff because i'm a tea drinker let alone you know this decaf coffee is like as far as i go more or less <laughs> what you a, draw the line. <laughs> yeah, i draw the line what about yourself <laughs> kelly what what well, um, if you don't have something with you now, what what, have you, what was your most recent drink? First of all, for the postum, I I had never even heard of it until I met Adina. Like it's something that I'm I'm originally my accent. I don't know if you can tell. There's three very distinct accents mm. here. Adina's is a New England accent. I'm from the Southern United States originally, so I've got more of a Southern accent. And postum was never even part of our community. Okay, yeah, that I'm aware of. So. I actually decided to go uh, with a non-caffeine drink also and went with the ginger ale. Oh, nice. It's, uh, it's kind of warmed up today. It's kind of one of those spring-feeling days, finally, which you're desperate for here in New England. We finally moved past mud season, so <laughs> now we're into uh, flowers are blooming and things like that. And I wanted something that was more uplifting and uh, something that was lighter but caffeine-free, so I went with the ginger ale. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I like a little bit of ginger ale sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. So you're from you're from the southern United States. So actually, let's talk about that kind of thing about the seasons and everything like that. So my my wife, being from the Twin Cities, Minnesota, she one of the things she gets homesick for here in the United Kingdom is the very very distinct seasons that they get in Minnesota. So they're because it's because they're more of a continental climate. They get very sharp winters um, and very very kind of hot summers. And but then when it comes in, particularly with the fall, with the autumn, the deep reds and oranges and browns that they get, you know, she misses that kind of stuff. Whereas here in the UK, because of our maritime climate, it seems to kind of from one season into another, and sometimes shifts backwards and forwards before it decides. Okay, now it's summer or now it's spring. So um, I know that New England's got a similar climate to the United Kingdom, but not exactly. But let's start with you, Kelly. How 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 has that been for you? Kind of like moving from 
so where in the southern United States are you from and kind of how have you find, first of all, starting with the climate and then maybe you've been talking about the shopping and the different products and stuff. How's the kind of difference been for you? Okay. Um, so I, I'm from East Tennessee originally. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is a landlocked state. We're eight hours from the nearest ocean. So there's nothing maritime unless a hurricane has come in through the Gulf Coast part of the southern U.S. And then we'll get some storms occasionally. But we have a pretty much a temperate climate. Uh, we have mountains everywhere in East Tennessee, where I'm from. Mm. We have the Appalachian Mountains, and we also have uh, to the west the Cumberland Plateau. And I was born and raised in what's called the Tennessee Valley. So in the valley, the climate didn't really like you had maybe three or four distinct snowfalls a year, and that was it. And they would be no more than two inches or so. So the winters were pretty mild in the valley, but because the Appalachian Mountains were less than an hour away from me, if I wanted to go see snow, all I had to do was head out of the valley and head up the mountains, and I could go see the seasons that way. So you could get a nice change and nice taste of all four seasons in Tennessee, but you had to travel. You couldn't just sit at your house and watch it happen at your house, per se. So you had to go to the seasons rather than seasons come to you. Right, right. I mean, you know, the seasons do happen. The leaves, the the, the leaf color change is spectacular there, but really and truly the winters are, it never gets below mid twenties at all, hardly in the winter time. The thing that I like the best about uh, the South is because of the good old tilt of the earth on its axis in the winter time, it doesn't get dark as soon as it does up here in New England. And when yeah, I lived in England, yeah. that was one of the hardest parts living oh, in yes. Leeds was how early it got dark in the winter time. So that's actually the hardest part for me to deal with is I'm losing an hour of daylight by moving north 950 miles and a little bit east also. So I'm looking at my weather station here and Right, I mean, we've we've just so we've come past the the spring equinox and moving towards the summer solstice, of course. So, sunrise today was five forty two in the morning, and sunset was eight oh six, and we're not even into May yet. So it's already quite an early sunrise and a late ish sunset. But yeah, coming towards the summer solstice, it's going to be like sunrise is going to be like, you know, four four or something. And sunset's going to be almost like 10 o'clock or just past 10 o'clock at night. Yes. Yeah. And that's that part was good. (laughs) Yeah. There's long summers, but yeah, but the opposite with the winters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It drives the kids crazy. You know, Uh, can't keep them in bed in the summer. We can't get them out of bed in the winter. Um, (laughs) What about yourself, Adina? So you've got, have you always been in New England or have you traveled around a bit? I'm mostly a New Englander. I left <laughs> briefly to go to college in Illinois, and then I went to graduate school in Pennsylvania, and then I came back to Boston because I guess I really like it here, yeah. <laughs> and I've stayed. Oh, so, yeah, no, and I I do appreciate the having the four seasons here in in Massachusetts. I, I think I would go crazy without them. <laughs> so we have a, a very very close friend, uh, Shannon, who comes from Maine. So she's uh, definitely a New England, uh, a New England gal. But uh, she was, she moved out to the Twin Cities actually in Minnesota. Um, and of course, it's completely different there in terms of in terms of the, the the climate in particular. But she got very very homesick for the kind of things that you were saying about, particularly you know the the way that the seasons are and the, just the greenness of 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 uh, New England. So I can definitely see it there. I visited your part of the world. Only once, actually, I think. Um, 
I'm not counting New York, you know, almost every Brit who's got the means goes to New York. Um, I've been to, we did a road trip in 2010 and we kind of like went up to Maine to visit Shannon and her family. And then we did the whole, you know, we've got to stop off in Rhode Island. We've got to stop off in Vermont, of course, we've got to stop off in Massachusetts. You've got, you've got to claim those states by putting your foot on the soil, right? Um, so yeah, and then we drove, and then we drove back there. We got the train into uh, from New York to Washington DC, and then we got another car and went across the states. So, dot crossing the dot, um, yeah, playing dot to dot with friends and family, which was quite nice. Apart from one time, we had to camp in Kansas. So, when you yeah, mentioned okay. Kansas, yeah, that was Kansas. interesting, and that was hot. That was a very hot summer, and there were loads of bugs, loads and loads and loads of bugs. <laughs> Very there big are bugs. Of bugs <laughs> actually you mentioned illinois Dean. The, the hottest the hottest part of that road trip was actually while we was in illinois and it was a hundred and uh, i think it the heat index was about 110 degrees fahrenheit so that was quite difficult traveling in that so yes the, mid- the midwest has has weather <laughs> <laughs> so massachusetts then is it's not the smallest state but it's one of the smaller states uh, in the USA. So compared to other states, like in the West, particularly where you've got California, Nevada, um, Colorado, Montana, all those kind of things, they're quite large states, but Massachusetts is relatively small. So you two actually live an hour apart from each other. So Adina, you're in Boston itself ish. And yes. yeah. so Adina, would I suppose, cause the way that American cities go, would you classify yourself as a Boston exurb or a suburb, or were you a completely different settlement to Massachusetts? Do you think uh, to uh, Boston? Yeah, and this is one of those real geography perception. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, do you live in the city? Well, my my actual address is in a is in a city outside of Boston called Somerville, um, famous uh, for being the place they invented marshmallow fluff, among other things. Huh. Do you even know what that is? My, is my, marshmallow fluff is not what we call candy floss, is it? Yes. The cotton candy. Mm. Am I right? No, marshmallow fluff is you take two pieces of bread, you take the marshmallow fluff, which is kind of like smooshed oh, yes. up marshmallows. You spread it on, and then you put peanut butter on the other piece of bread, oh, and okay. then you smell right, it together, right. and then you have a okay. fluff butter. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing i got my headphones on, everybody, because I don't want my kids to hear this. They're going to go crazy for that. <laughs> oh, it's 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 nice. Marshmallow um, and peanut butter is two of my favorite things. Uh, for the well, two of my kids' favorite things. Um, okay, so 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 Somerville urban. I think I live in the city. Okay, it's very compact. It's very dense. We have little tiny backyards, um, little postage stamp backyards. Oh yeah. Um, and I can I can walk to several grocery stores. I can walk to the bank. I can walk to the post office. I can walk to the library. I can walk to the subway. Oh, so you nice. almost don't need a car. I have one, but you don't need one. And that's, to me, like the ultimate urbanness. And that's not what the stereotype of the United States is, which just like every other country in the world, there's diversity in the geography in the United States as well. It's not, you know, because the joke is over here is like, Oh, like you, you're gonna, you know, you have to jump in your car to go everybody, everywhere. And I remember when I first went to Minnesota and first experienced my dry, a drive-through ATM. Yes, everybody, a drive-through cash machine, right? How American is that? I'm like, well, of course, you're gonna sit everything around the car, but no, you've got, you know, places like that where you can actually do the way us Brits do it, 
if you live in an, an urban area, you can walk everywhere. You can get everything that you, you need. You can walk to the nearest, well, people will debate whether it's good enough over here, but you can jump on the nearest public transport and go to X, Y, and Z. But um, right. so, yeah. So what about yourself, Kelly? Is it, I mean, you've got, you've got this hour's different distance from, from where Adina is, but how's, how's so your surroundings? In- so I'm actually in Central Mass, so I'm an hour west of where Adina lives at. That's if the traffic is cooperating and it's <laughs> right. just perfect and when we're going to head there and everything, it's an hour because I've learned being from East Tennessee, you do have to drive everywhere. Yeah. Down there. So that so there are always some truths to stereotypes a little bit, not, not always complete. But in this case, yes, there are some places where you have to drive. And so... I'm used to being in places where you have to have a car where there isn't any public transportation whatsoever. And then I moved up here and there's a train that goes with five minutes from my house, 10 minutes from her house. I can hop on it and be at her house and not have to do anything in a car. Nice. But with me being in central Massachusetts to go to the grocery store, to go to those types of things and to the market, I do need a car mm. because it's, I mean, I could walk there or take a bike there, but it's probably a half mile or a mile away from where I'm at. But the reason I choose to live in central Massachusetts versus where Adina does with the convenience, I have to have more trees around me right. than people. I mean, that's just who I am. I need more trees than people. Yeah. And so I live in an area that's more, uh, it's not rural by any stretch of the imagination. It's a town of about 20,000 people mm. and it's called Lemonster and it's spelled L-E-O-M-I-N-S-T-E-R so my GPS always calls it Leo Minster. <laughs> yeah we have that problem over here I mean we um, I think it was with uh, Phil Humphreys uh, another geography teacher in the United Kingdom we we talked about weird place names in the United Kingdom like we've got we've got like should I, should I get you you folks to try and spell Wyndham or Haysborough because I don't think you'll uh, but it's the kind of same thing like as Leadminster. But yeah, just if just if you listen back to the episode or try try and Google uh, or Ecosia or whoever whatever search engine you use, um, Wyndham, Norfolk and Haysborough, Norfolk, and see what happens. And when it if it gets gives you that auto correction, you'll be like, what? <laughs> so yeah, it's I I because I always well I mostly experience that. In the United States, it was like, well, that you actually say it as it is, and it's when you folks come over here and you try and pronounce our names, you kind of, but okay, but Lemminster, I'm going to remember that this time. So actually, there is a kind of quirkiness to some of your names as well. Well, and and Leo Minster or Lemminster is right <laughs> outside of the big city in central Massachusetts, which is pronounced Worcester. Worcester, which uh, yeah, which would have been pronounced over here. So perhaps it's the well. New England, the the British influence with these place names, I imagine that's pro- that's probably the historical context, historical etymology, I imagine. Hmm. I don't really thought about that. Still, I'm pretty sure we stole that name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we stole everything else. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you. And, and you and you and you fought to keep it, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> fair twos, you've victor to the spoils. Oh yeah, um, there was a war. <laughs> So moving on then, um, I asked the kind of things which um, things that kind of matter to you and like Adina, you put on here that like geography matters. Um, And yes, 
absolutely 100 and we actually you know people listening we've, we've just been talking about in some ways that jog fee absolutely matters uh and kelly you've put um on here which is something i really do want to talk about really excited to talk about is in terms of not just the not just physical geography but social geography in particular about uh, trans rights in the united states and one of the things that you've been doing which i really strongly recommend people give give a listen to and a watch to is your tv program which you won an award for which is called kelly's quest the transnational journey um and it's really really cool so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna play a little clip for the listeners which is just an opening of one of your episodes welcome to kelly's quest the transnational journey 50 states and 50 stories Located in Morris Plains, New Jersey, Grainstone Disc Golf Course sits on what was once part of Grainstone Park Psychiatric Hospital. Built in 1871, they first opened their doors with less than 300 patients on August 17, 1876. One of the hospital's more famous patients was Woody Guthrie, who was there from 1956 to 1961. Grainstone was a landmark in progressive medicine. The hospital believed in uncrowded conditions, fresh air, and the notion that mental health is treatable. Following in the footsteps of compassionate care in New Jersey, we spoke with Dana Delgado, a family nurse practitioner, to discuss health care within the trans community. We met Dana and his son James on a rainy morning. This topic, I'm all over this topic, but I really love the way you started with a little bit of kind of jog for your history about the state that you're visiting. Um, so, yeah, tell us about how, how did you get into this the TV, the, the kind of like the TV kind of side of things, this this production side of things. What what motivates you to kind of tell these stories of these people in your in your program? Well, the geography part of it was just. I'm going to take credit. I'm a history <laughs> buff. I'm a geography buff. I really wanted to know the backdrop a little bit of this state before I even went there. Why mm. is this state looking the way this state is for trans rights in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 when we get to travel again? Like what in their past has helped create what's going on now? And mm. sometimes I can find an answer to that. And then other times I just find really interesting facts about each state that I didn't know that impact of the story. Like for instance, with North Carolina, I, we went down to North Carolina because in, in a political sense in the United States, there's federal rights, we have a federal government, and then we have the 50 states. And each one of those states has its own individual laws and rights that the federal government's rights in theory supersedes and take precedence over each state's rights. Well, because of being a trans woman in this United States, I'm very aware that in some states, I have more rights than in other states. Mm, yeah. And the state that I was raised in, Tennessee, has zero rights for trans people. Like you can be fired for your jobs. You can be fired. You can be refused service in a restaurant. You can be kicked out of a place just for being trans. And the state of Tennessee allows that to happen. You also can't change your identity documents very easily in Tennessee. Your birth certificate cannot be changed, things like that. But I was born one mile north of the Tennessee state line in the state of Kentucky. And that one mile allowed me to change my birth certificate to match my gender identity. Wow. And that thought always stuck in my head, Kit, that that one mile made that much of a difference and an impact in my life. 
So as I started, as I affirmed my authentic self as a trans woman way back when in 2005, and there's a whole nother story to that that people can see on the show that uh, I tell the story about my journey, I discovered that other people are being impacted the exact same way based on where they live. Yeah. It wasn't just an isolated event. And I learned through research and everything, because I had to do it on my own, that Massachusetts afforded me complete rights. Like, you can't discriminate against me in the state of Massachusetts for employment, for going to a restaurant, for taxes, for public accommodation, the housing, nothing. That It's illegal. So I decided to move up here, and that 950 miles from Tennessee to Massachusetts changed my life yeah. because of the sport that I play called disc golf, which I will talk with. Sure, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my real passion. <laughs> but um, I moved up here and playing the sport of disc golf, I met a whole new community of people. And one of the people that I met is the executive director of Acton Public Access Television Station. And that's where we're at today is actually in the TV station in Acton, Massachusetts. And as I got to know the executive director in a casual setting on a disc golf course, he kept pestering me. <laughs> Kelly, you've got to tell your story. You've got such a fascinating story. You've got to tell it. And I kept saying to him, no, <laughs> there is no way I'm going to tell my story and risk being ostracized by the community. I'm a teacher trying to start my life all over again up here. No, 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 no. For a year, I told him no. And finally, one day he said, look, I've hired this person to work at the TV station, come talk to them, and then tell me no. So I came to the station. I met this gentleman named Patrick Snow. He sat down, and we were talking to one another. He made a movie about queer people in the past. I watched the movie, and I said, yes, I will tell my story. And that was a that was a studio episode. And then we decided we need to go bigger because each state is different. That little thing was always in the back of my head that I've got to go talk to more. I've got to go tell more stories. I started traveling from state to state to state, filming people, finding out what it's like in those states. And I'm interviewing trans people in those states that are doing amazing things. Like, for instance, in New Hampshire and Vermont, I, I interviewed politicians, trans people that are elected politicians working in the United States as their authentic yeah. self. Yeah. I've interviewed people that work for the Office of Naval Intelligence that keep track of what other countries are doing with their nuclear arsenal. I've interviewed people that are working in cities and states that are helping marginalized people. I've talked to people that are nurse practitioners, medical people that are helping the trans community that are homeless, because sadly, a lot of us are discriminated against to the point that we become homeless. And so I talk to doctors that go find us out in the community and help us. And it's just been an amazing, amazing adventure. And I'm so grateful that the show exists and that I get to go meet these wonderful people and hear their stories. It's it's so heartwarming to kind of hear this, the, the, the you know the origins of how this took place because two things came to my mind as you as you were as you were talking one is um yeah ge geography really does play a massive part in people's lives and I, it just blows my mind i mean of course i'm aware that this this is the case you know that arbitrary lines drawn on a map can 
lead to two different paths in in life you know it's a it's a sliding doors moment for 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 people of our age who know that movie where life can go in a completely different direction from a distance of a, of a, of a short walk away from each other and there's so many examples of course not just with trans rights but also with you know communities of color indigenous oppression and and things like that where lines drawn on a map can really change the future of, of a of a of a people and the second thing that came to my mind was what impact allyship can have <clears throat> so you will you you found this group of people when you were doing your uh, disc golfing and they wouldn't let up because they were being a genuine ally and thought that I want you know come and speak to us and things and then you got that sense of safety and security that you needed to say actually I do feel empowered to tell my story and now that was the pebble in the pond I like this analogy of you know casting a pebble into the pond and the ripple effect taking place because of that allyship that existed and now you're able to tell your story tell these other people's stories and just oh it just makes me feel so great especially as we are aware of um the devastating stuff that's taking place in various states across the usa and here in the united kingdom as well where there's a very more sinister kind of shadowy um you know aggression towards trans rights in this country so that fills me with a lot of hope so thank you very much for for sharing that with us. I mean, no, you must no, be well. so pr- so proud of that. I mean, Adina, Adina t- had, from your point of view as someone who is supporting this, um, the the one thing that it's very easy to say is, um, I Kelly's a geographer. She's <laughs> yes. always been a geographer. She looks at the world like a geographer, and she's taken on this challenge of telling stories by saying. Let's look at it geographically. Let's go state to state to state and find people and find out about that state and what's going on. And so, yeah, it was, it was sort of a natural connection um, oh. that, to, to me. That uh, Yeah, of, of course she's doing a show where she's visiting all 50 states and interviewing trans people in each of them. I mean, that, that made complete like, like, of course you are. Yeah, great. Yeah, I've got to um... – uh, it'd be great to say this actually on record because I have to put you in contact with a very good friend of mine called uh, Esther Lemons who runs a pod- another podcast called uh, Fifty Shades of Gender where she interviews uh, gender non-conforming folks and people outside the binary and their allies and their supporters and just to tell their story and everything like that. And I and she's I've just. I said, Esther, you've had me on your podcast so many times. You've got to come on mine. So she's going to be doing a future episode, everybody. So that's why I mention it. And I think you two would make amazing guests for Esther to talk to. <laughs> so um, I'm going to have to get you you put in contact with that. And she's just she's just lovely. She she started off as a kind of self um, learning journey for herself to kind of learn about and then promote voices of of, of trans and people and non gender non conforming people. And I think she's now at. I think she's done now almost 80 episodes now. Wow. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and she's like, I've started, Kit. I can't stop. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Hi, folks. A chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating, and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar also there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit please do check them out adina there's 
there's got to be some kind of GIS stuff, something to come out of this, surely. And a, a GIS, a complement to, to uh, Kelly's Quest. I can see it. Uh, yeah, actually, and I, I'm, so part of, part of my challenge uh, in, in hanging out with Kelly and watching her put the episodes together and do the research and do the editing and try to get the, the story out on social media so people will, will, watch, will watch the shows, um, I was struck by that, that story that Kelly told about just this small piece of geography had such a big difference. And I was so it came back to what I had written down, which is geography matters. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so here's one little tiny story about Kelly that illustrates that geography matters and geography matters to transgender people. So what other stories are there out there? Uh, so I started just looking out in, in the world and trying to find these individual people's stories. And for the uh, Trans Day of Visibility yeah. um, last month, um, I collected five of them. Uh, I used a, a story map, that being one of yep. the technologies that my company makes, uh, to tell these five stories you know, with, with the map. You know, wh what is it that geography mattered about? And there's you know, internet, people leaving, leaving countries because their yeah. lives as transgender people were just uh, impossible. So they had to leave. Uh, young people having to change schools. You yeah. pick the school based on what was possible, not being able to go to the same school as their friends. Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And it keeps coming back to geography matters. Yeah. And um, I really like that I can bring sort of my vision, the way I look at the world uh, as a geographer and as a GIS person to this issue that's, you know, a worldwide issue. And let's, let's figure it out, people. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> 2022, we got to figure this stuff out. I, I, have, I have to say, I'm so glad that people like you exist. It just really, really, I've got a big smile on my face. I'm just like... Oh, to know that you two are out there doing this this thing, and you're doing it for the love of it and the proud of it, and for the right you know the the right reasons as well. It's amazing because, yeah, well, geo, well, obviously trans rights, LGBTQ rights, geography, GIS, these are all my favourite things. So, like you two are like kind of like this this ball of like favourite things um, for me, um, and I, I I don't hold back. I, I everybody knows that I'm genuine when I say these kind of things to, to a fault almost, um, but. It's just yet another example of what us geography educators, and I know that you know the largest majority, you know the majority of of the people listening to this podcast are geography educators, geography teachers, particularly in the United Kingdom. And I'm so so pleased that you've been able to articulate that so well, because I must admit I've been perhaps because I'm so emotionally attached to it. I'm very very passionate about geography. I'm exceptionally passionate about trans rights and and equity, diversion and inclusion. That. I've I've always wanted to explore trans rights and geography a lot, and one one thing that I did do fairly recently was about the UK's census in 2021, where for the very first time in their 200 year history, they actually had a optional question on there about how you identify with your gender. Do you do you identify different from the from what you were assigned at birth? For the first time in 200 years, massive backlash from people of moral panic ilk we'll, we'll leave that aside because oh you can't it was an optional question you're still being asked about your sex but assigned at birth and all that kind of stuff um 
but it was a watershed moment for us. So, and I was able to pick that apart and say, why is that important as a geographer? You know, because the census is such a, you know, a key mass data collection effort which informs public services where funding might go where there's a lack of resources etc 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 and so you know and as as you both are probably aware that it takes quite a while for that data to come out and to be analyzed so we're still us geography teaching united kingdom are going come on where's this census data coming you know we we uh, we love it when we um we take pictures we take selfies with the census form when we get them and then when the census data day comes out we're like so um so the way that you articulated what you just said is just fantastic i'm so glad that geography educators geography teachers got, got to hear that because it was far better than what i could have done um so thank you and yeah kelly um please please you know keep up the great work with that um i'll put all the links in the description with regards to your tv show i will I will get on and watch the other episodes myself as well and encourage people to watch that. Adina, that story map, you know, do send us the link. I'll put the description. I'll put the link in the description as well to anything that you think teachers can explore or educators can explore or just because it matters. Geography matters. So thank you for that. Um, where to move on from that? Oh, well, where can I go from here? Um, right. I'm going to go to spill the beans now. So you're going to tell me something. Now, you've already alluded to it. So we'll go with Kelly first, and then we'll go to Adina. Kelly, you already alluded to this about disc golfing. Disc golf. So, I, so most of us are aware of what golf is. So I'm, guess, I'm going to guess. So it's got to do something where you start with somewhere and you've got to get maybe a frisbee or something into a zone and area within a certain number of throws. And that would be, you'd be measured against how many throws you make a bit like in golf, one under par, two above par, over par, whatever. Is it anything like that? Or did I get it completely wrong? You nearly described it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, well, I mean, you all did invent over in the British Isles, the wonderful game of golf, which I love. And we just decided that, you know, maybe there can be an offshoot of it that is just as fun, that can be more affordable for some people because, you know, costs sometimes get in the way of things in life, and we've discovered that. And it's also a sport that's less environment, has less environmental impact on nature than a, a lynx-type course would. But the concept is exactly the same. You have a tee pad, and... I'll use some Southern colloquialism. Off yonder way, there is a, what's called a basket. Okay. And whereas in Lynx golf and regular and ball golf, I'll call it, uh, things are measured in hundreds of yards away. This one is 400 yards, 300 yards. We measure in distance of feet. So a, a basket will be 300 feet away, 400 feet away, 500 mm. feet away. And the exact same concept of par, you've got par three, par four, par five. And just like in ball golf, when you get up on the tee and you're like, okay, I need to use this particular club based on the conditions and what I'm trying to do, you have specifically designed discs. Like they're not the regular Frisbee that you play with out in your yard with your friends. They are a a high-tech disc that uh, have different functions based on the needs. Like you've got drivers, just like in golf. You've got mid-ranges, just like you've got uh, wedges and stuff like that in golf. You've got putters. And usually the obstacles for our game, instead of there being bunkers and sand traps, 
you're throwing in the woods, especially in New oh, England. Cool. So there's a path carved out in the woods, 400 feet long, and you've got to navigate it to avoid all of the trees, avoid the wind. The basket's sometimes sitting on a slope. But the thing that I love about it the most is it is actually the fastest growing sport in the United States right now. Oh, Even nice. though it's been around since, since the 1970s and the 80s, it is right now taking off. Just like, and um, actually, there's courses in England. Hmm. I mean, when I lived over there uh, back in the early 2000s, I played in a tournament. I can't remember where. I remember there was a castle and there was some sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Wales, <laughs> <was> of course. <laughs> but uh, and it's it, the 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 discs themselves, and in U.S. dollars, they're about fifteen dollars each, and. To go play a course, we Adina and I played today with some friends of ours. It costs no money to go. We just showed up and got with our friends, and away we went. It's an 18-hole course layout, and the uh, par for the course is 56, and uh, then you hope that you can beat that. Yeah, what would, come on, t- tell, me, tell me what your score was then. So what did you – because I know that – because you, you are a professional disc golf player, so – how how many oh. under how many under par did you get? What was your score? So today I actually didn't keep score oh, okay. because I <laughs> sorry. Um, it's I, all true. I mean that's true. I didn't keep score, but, but the reason I didn't keep score is because as a professional, like last weekend, I went and competed for like the the New England Team Challenge Cup which is Ooh. our version of UEFA, I guess, <laughs> UEFA, okay. but for disc golf in New England. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a geography thing also. All of the courses have their own team. Each state has its own sets of teams, and we travel all over New England playing all through the winter. And then we had our championships based on how we did through the season oh, nice. last uh, weekend. So, and ha- how did you do? Oh, we won. Oh, we won. Uh, <laughs> Team NASA. So we are on Team NASA. But today, I, I, um, I got off of the tee very well. I drove very well. But I also decided last yesterday that I wanted to go to um, – I went to a Seder with Adina's family. And I'll let Adina explain what a Seder is later. <laughs> But I wanted to dress up for it, so I decided to get some lovely talons on my fingers. And I'm not used to throwing with really long nails. So I did fine getting off of the tee, but when it came, as as in regular golf, putting is the thing that's everybody's bugaboo. It's the thing that makes you want to throw your clubs away and all of that. Um, I struggled with that part of it. So I probably shot around the 60, probably four over par. but Even with the talents. Even with the talents, yes. Tell us what Seder is just while we're on that. Uh, okay, so uh, we're just, just at the end of the Passover holiday, the Jewish holiday, which is uh, eight, eight days long and started the end of last week. Um, theoretically, you start out your, uh, your Passover celebration with uh, the Seder, which is a meal uh, where you tell the story of uh, the Jews leaving slavery in, in Egypt. Um, and you do that with very specific foods that symbolize parts of the story. Um, and 
again, it would have been last week, but it, with the complexities of today's life, my family decided we were going to do it uh, on, a, on a Thursday, but we did. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was lots of, lots of good fun. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, thank you for explaining this, which is a good segue now to condiments, because this is for you now. Adina. Okay. You have a thing for condiments. So I'm going to do a special jog on for you. I mean, Kelly, obviously you take part as well. Right? <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, it's, it's weird. I have to explain the rules again. So jog on is where I, I, I come up with five random topics, um, randomly generated, and our guests can choose to whether to talk about them, jog on, or skip them, which is take a hike. Um, and you, But you have to talk three of them. So it's a bit of strategy involved with which one you choose. Now, of course, because you mentioned condiments, right? What I've done, I actually, believe it or not, I found a website that generates random condiments. So, this is technology awesome. I know. I was like, this ain't good. Oh, right. Now, so some of these condiments you might have heard, some of you not. Some, at least two of them are like common, very common, right? So you can choose to talk about them. Or, or skip them and it could be about how you might use them or, or what you've you know if you even have them in the house or whatever it is it just we just we'll just go for it free flow okay are you ready for the first one i'm ready I'm gonna, I'm gonna think i'll try and pronounce this right pico de gallo oh pico de gallo i know i know what that is and that's not okay. because i like it it's because kelly likes it <laughs> okay so do you want to jog on on that and tell us about why Kelly likes that. I'm going to let Kelly talk about it. <laughs> okay, go for I'm it. We're going to jog on and pass We're it jogging to me. We're jogging on So pico de gallo is a mix of a bunch of like tomatoes and onions and a little bit of peppers and a little bit of sauce. Am I right? Yeah, all chopped up. All chopped up finely. <laughs> and then it's put on top of like usually Mexican type foods. Mm. It's a, oh, it's like right. a more of a it's in the salsa vein of things a little bit, but uh, it's got some spices on top of it, some herbs. And what do you like to put it on? Everything. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> pizza. pizza. I like to put it on pizza. Okay. I like to put it on. I like nice. everything goes on pizza. <laughs> yes, yes. Ha ha ha! To all you pineapple naysayers. <laughs> okay, cool. Right, that's the first one. So the second one is, and we've got some of this in our, in our house. Is uh, sriracha. Oh, I'm going to take a hike on that one. Oh, okay. I, I'm not a spicy I, person. Yeah, it is really spicy. I've I've so with sriracha, I've I've taken to um, putting it that little dab on quite a few things actually. Um, I do like to spice things up, especially on noodles and whatnot. Um, okay, so this one is um, we were talking about you know being environmentally friendly a bit earlier, and this one definitely not because they come in little plastic packets sometimes in restaurants, particularly is tartar sauce. So oh, tartar sauce. I'll jog on on tartar. Okay, sauce. tell me a bit about this. So, do you just use it with fish, or is there other things you stick it on? I don't like the whole concept of tartar sauce. I'm a big fan of condiments. That is one condiment that I would not seek out, and if provided to me with my, say, fish and chips or whatever, <laughs> I would not use because it, it just it, it's because if you think about it, all tartar sauce is is a combination of other condiments. Right. So, so I really, know that. if you just separate it out into its constituent parts and then choose the constituent part that you really want, then you'll be in, in good shape. Okay. So, what, what kind of stuff do you find? Well, is, what, what goes into tartar sauce? And I honestly did not know this. Uh, so, 
I, b- I believe there are different ways of making it, but my generic mm-hmm. brain of tartar sauce is it's mayonnaise and ketchup and relish. Okay, so t- so I loved how you jog on to say your distaste for tartar sauce. That's good. <laughs> right, so we've got two left. Um, you've got to jog on with one of them. And I say, folks, this is completely random. Um, and the fact that Pico de Gallo came up was completely random. That you, you, you love that. Okay, so the next one is fish paste as a condiment. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take – I know what it is. I'm going to take a hike on that one. Okay. Actually, I kind of love the fact that you have to talk about the last one is actually not too bad because it is a very common condiment. I made sure I didn't tongue my tie my tongue with that one. Um, and that's just vinegar. And so I'm going to give you a bit of free reign with this one and not just basalt, balsamic vinegar or anything like that, but any kind of vinegar. I'll let you talk about any kind of vinegar that you might be, you've used in your cooking or something. God. Well, okay. So I've got to talk about vinegar. You've got to talk about it. Yeah. In, in the context, as a constituent part, of of another condiment okay and this is super timely uh, because this has to do with the seder that we had last night oh okay so one of the things that you have at the seder is horseradish and it symbolizes the bitterness of slavery right okay and if you've ever seen horseradish root it kind of looks like a kind of a big fat white carroty thing Uh, and what to turn it into a condiment uh, you clean it all up and then you put it in your food processor and you crunch it up and then you mix it with vinegar. Oh. And then you get, if you use a fresh root, you get some of the spiciest uh, flavors that you will ever get. Oh. And in, in traditional Passover uh, foods, what you do is you take it and you, you eat it on matzah and you also eat it on gefilte fish, which is a uh, sort of minced fish uh, patty, uh, so that's that is the best way to use vinegar this time of year, springtime uh, when, when Passover is happening. Nice, I like the way you did that. So here we have tons of vinegar in this house, but most of it is white vinegar, and we use it for cleaning. Environmentally, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. But we, we we do have we do have some red wine vinegar. Here, uh, we do have some white wine vinegar. We do have some uh, some vinegar as well. But okay. Cool. That was quite fun. That was a bit different. I like that. Um, <laughs> right. We're going to finish off now then um, with, we are all geographers, so I'm going to get you linked up to our previous guests and you're going to set a challenge for our next guest. So um, we are all geographers is all about linking our guests together with a word that people try to link with geography or maybe maybe some a kind of relationship to it with their their lives, their interests, whatever. So last week we spoke to Emily Butler and Emily is uh, located in Qatar. She's an international geography teacher who uh, lives and works out in Qatar. The word that she come up to challenge to you both is continuity. Continuity. So your job, folks, is to see if you can link the word continuity to geography and I, I always say it can be geography in the loosest sense it doesn't have to be to a geographical process or term it could be quite loose so or the lack you know i mean i reckon kelly can maybe talk about maybe the lack of continuity because of geography i don't, I don't want to give any hints <laughs> so um because there's two of you i will i'm going to be nice and i'm going to give you 40 seconds rather than 30 seconds so you can maybe have 20 seconds each so do you want to have a think about it yeah, before yeah, you crack do off? you have an idea because I I mean, I'm, I'm willing to wing it okay I'm willing to just usually it works best that way an idea, well then. I have an idea for you <laughs> okay so you, get, you, you answer from you go with it then 
40 seconds in total, 20 seconds for you. Talk to me about continuity. Off you go. So I am a weather buff. I always like to watch the weather and the weather map that runs through the state of Massachusetts also shows the roads. I live on a road called Route 2. Somehow or another, even though the road runs from Boston all the way to New York State, on the map, there are gaps with no road whatsoever. <laughs> How is that possible to not have that continuity? Oh, okay, Dina. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about continuity in disc golf. When you throw a shot, you want it to be a nice smooth from here to there and landing, and there is no continuity because it gets interrupted by trees. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Oh, brilliant. You did that so, so well. Yeah. With, oh, weather maps. Okay, we can talk forever about weather now, but uh, you are talking to a bit. Um, it, really, right. it really annoys her so much. <laughs> that road has all it. It's like, it's there. I know the road is there because I've driven on it. So I know yeah. it exists, but why is it not on the map? And I can't figure out whether it's the underlying GIS data or if it's just the rendering. I love, I love how you're going operational with <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Okay, so um, you you two can come up with a word now for our next guest. Um, could be something we've talked about, something related to what we talked about. It could be something completely random. It could be something on that shelf behind you, whatever you so wish. I've got a good idea, though. Okay. It's, it's representative. I would like them to use the word course. Course. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness! There are so many pro- approaches to that. And right, it's very course. geographic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that. Well, this has been so much fun. Um, really, really enjoyed this. Before we uh, get going, though, um, I know you've given a couple of shout outs already, uh, Kelly yourself. Um, but is there anyone else you want to say hi to? Um, Adina, you might want to say hi to Alistair Hamill. <laughs> everyone loves everyone loves saying hi to Alistair Hamill on this podcast. Or is there anything, anybody else you'd like to say hi to? Um, I'm just going to shout out to my team, the Learn ArcGIS team at, at ESRI. It's a great bunch of people to work with, and uh, I'm, we have we have a lot of discussions about geography education and how to make yeah. it better. Yeah, I don't know what it is with you, Esri folks. You're such lovely people. I, I work I work quite closely with the Esri folks here in the United Kingdom, the educational team, and they're just. They're just lovely. So I'm going to say hi to to uh, Jason, David, and Katie because they're just lovely, and Addy because they're just lovely people. And what about yourself, Kate? Anyone to add from uh, what you said earlier? I want to give a huge shout-out to Acton TV for letting us use their studio for oh, this Yeah, thank time. you. And I also want to give a really big shout-out to all the trans and gender nonconforming people out there that are doing their thing, surviving and thriving yeah. and making the world a better place. Keep on doing what you're doing. Here, here. We're here. We're here to stay. We're proud. And what I will say is, is that we all have an identity that's not trans as well and hold on to that. Like I identify as a geographer and as an educator, as a teacher. That's my core identity. The fact that I am trans is just my existence. So what a lovely thing to say. Thank you so much, Kelly. And how can we, I know Adina, you've got um, a Twitter account. So if people want to connect with you, what is your, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Adina S. Adina, yes, lovely. And Kelly, you don't have a Twitter account, but of course you do have your YouTube channel. So what's the best way of finding out your YouTube channel, all your stuff? So the, uh... if you go on to Acton TV, they have access to all of my YouTube uh, shows because they are the ones that host it on their platform. So Acton TV, Kelly's Quest, I have a studio show, and I've also got the on-location show, The Transnational Journey. Yeah, and folks it's you know I've, I've seen one episode so far and it's like i've got to 
carve out some time of my day to watch the rest of them because these are really really good and as I, as I said earlier Kelly thank you so so much for doing that and Adina thank you for all the support as well and your ally, allyship it's it's you well Kelly has probably told you but on behalf of you know other trans and non-conforming folk it, it means so much to us you know and it, as I say and I'm, I'll say it again like I said earlier the fact that I know that you two exist now is just another thing that brings faith back in humanity for me so thank you so much for coming on and talking to me i've really enjoyed myself and i really do dearly hope we keep in contact we will we've got a place to visit now yay <laughs> yay <laughs> absolutely you can come and visit my my ear in east anglia that, right. that, that, go. i'm gonna i'm not gonna explain that one folks yeah yeah if um, you ever want to do one in the uk absolutely uh, well it, it, and that and uh, kelly's already determined that i'm, I'm a fangirl of, of yours now so oh, I, that's I, yeah, you're gonna, i have a fangirl you, you do you do um, Take that, Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, both. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.